This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 11, Episode 50. This is Writing Excuses, hand-selling your book to potential readers with Michael R. Underwood. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we have special guest star Michael R. Underwood. Say hello. Hello, everyone. Will you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Michael R. Underwood. I'm an author, podcaster, and publishing professional. I've got about a dozen books in print across a few series, uh, mostly geeky action-adventure. And I'm a co-host on the Skiffy and Fanty show, as well as Speculate. My day job is sales and marketing manager at Angry Robot Books. I barely sleep. <laughs> now, if I can, ad- if I can address the deja vu moment that some of our from some of our listeners mm-hmm. may be having, uh, we've had Michael uh, on the show before in an episode that also had the word hand selling in it. Mm-hmm. We were talking about pitching to agents, and agents, and editors, and here we are talking about placing your product in the hand of a reader. We yeah. figured that a lot of our listeners um, these days, particularly with self-publishing, are going to conventions and selling their books. We meet a lot of them um, at tables, at cons, and we've all been there. We thought we would talk about the experience of selling your books. I did this mostly at bookstores. Um, you know, I got published and thought, well, now I'm going to go do book signings. That's what you do. So I set up a bunch of book signings, and then I went to them, and of course, nobody came. Nobody knew who I was, and I didn't know that that's not what it was about. I didn't know this whole reading and culture and stuff like that. Anytime I'd gone to a book signing, it had been generally for an author that I waited in line for a while and got the book signed. And so I often, these places would put me in the back of the bookstore, and I would ask them to move me to their highest traffic area. I would stand behind the table, and I would be a used car salesman to everyone who walked by. Yeah, and they're... In a situation like that, when you're in a bookstore and the traffic that you're getting is really slight, there is that instant desire to really push hard and to try to mm. hard sell every single person. Yep. Most of what I do in terms of hand selling at conventions is at larger shows. So it's Gen Con, World Con, Comic Cons. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of traffic. And what I've seen, I've seen people doing the hand selling like the world is about to end. And what happens there is you may get a short term sale from a few of those people, but they are never coming back unless they legit super loved your book. And what you're doing is you're actually poisoning the well for everyone around you if you're hard selling that intensely. Uh, I was at a con and we had a small table for Angry Robot and the people to my left and the people to my right were hand selling like the world was about to end and all that, you know, they needed their money to create a raft. And what, what I saw is that people would be hard sold to my left and they'd be, they'd try to get away, try to get away, try to go away and they finally break orbit. You know, they've bought a book or they, they've, they haven't. And then they close down emotionally. Their whole body language goes, nope, 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 nope. And then they walk straight by me. I'm not going to be able to open that person up again. Not even with about half of my life being in sales. Maybe I could make it happen, but it's going to be so much effort. And they're instantly predisposed to not want to pay attention. So a huge part of how I approach hand selling is just being able to observe how people are through space, mm-hmm. and to create a, a human conversation. And if you can do that, you are 90% of the way there. Yeah, one of my biggest tools, even when hand-selling to an audience, now this is the best tool when you're selling to an agent or editor, but it worked just as, just as well for a normal bookstore was to get them talking. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And so my, my pitch was always, do you read fantasy novels? And they're like, no, but what's your book about? Or no, I'm not interested. And I'm like, great. Um, or yeah. And then giving me the opening, I say, well, what, what kind of fantasy novels do you write? I'm, I, or do you read? I'm a fantasy novelist. Um, I'm here selling my book. And I would get them talking about their favorite books. And I would see if I had something I could pitch to them that was similar. Yeah, and this is going to be much easier the wider your backlist is. Like, yep. if you have one book, you have one thing that you're mm-hmm. trying to fit into someone's life to solve a problem of theirs, whether that is, I have a flight and I'm, bo- and I'm going to be bored, or it's that, oh, well, this speaks to something that you're interested uh, because you're a writer as well, and we're going to talk about that, and I'll talk about how this does that thing in this book. The wider your list, the more tools you have, and you're going to want to set up your table because a, a lot of what I would have to say is that you can, you can put yourself in a great position by setting your table up effectively. Mm-hmm. I like to bring my own tablecloth. Mm-hmm. Um, for Angry Robot, our colors are black and red. So I bring a black tablecloth, <laughs> and that lets me put, set my area as- aside. I'm creating and curating the space itself. And then I'm spacing my books out in a way that I cluster them together by, type, by subgenre. So that if someone's interested in steampunk, I can say, oh, well, our steampunk books are right here. And I'm going to pre-sort really effectively for them. I also like to use book stands where it's like a, a plastic kind of easel. And that lets me put the book up where the, the, uh, the cover is facing outward. And it's very easy for someone to reach down kind of within uh, a very comfortable ergonomic fashion, pick up the book and take a look at it. So I'm trying to do all of these environmental things that I can to draw attention, like with a good banner or stand-up poster, and to smooth out the, the hand-selling experience from the reader perspective. Yeah. Now... I do a lot of this at shows as well, and, and you're absolutely right about the bigger backlist, and, and in particular about working with other authors, because then I found the question is not, are you a fantasy reader? Do you read fantasy books? But what do you like to read? Yeah. Because then no matter what they answer, I've got something there in the booth that I can pitch to you. Here's science fiction. Here's a dystopia. Here's a romance. Here's a fantasy. And so having, having that depth of product Having to sell. Having a, a group of friends with yeah. you there. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've got to say, I hope that I don't spend too much time tooting my own horn on the podcast. This was something I was really good at <laughs> during these days. Um, it was fun and challenging to me. Um, I would often, with my agent who loves bookstores, um, Joshua, it was one of his things back in the day that when he had time for this, we would go to bookstores. We'd be like, the two of us, Worldcon is in a city. We would go to the bookstores, every one of them in the city together. And he wanted to see how his authors were placed, make sure you know, that they're getting the right orders and things like this. I wanted to sign my backstock and sell a book to whoever was in the section. Um, and uh, he kept tabs and a score on how many books I could sell in the section. And I don't think I was hard sale. I, you know, that was one of the things you learn early. If someone's not interested, if they're not open, you don't, you don't touch that. Um, but if someone's browsing the science fiction section, I could sell them a book seven times out of ten. Um, and it was really fun to me because you're talking about something you love and connecting with them. There's a, a, so I'm listening to Mike and I'm like, oh, this, this takes me back to my puppetry days, which surprising everyone, I'm sure. Uh, but you think hand-selling uh, science fiction and fantasy is hard. You should try hand-selling a puppet show. Mm. And, and the thing that Mike said that I really want to, to, to draw a line under is um, that you're solving a, read, a problem that they have. Yeah. 
And this is, this is a, a really key point. Uh, your problem is that you want to sell them a book. Uh, that is not their problem. Their, their problem is something else. And so finding that out, the thing my mom always said, she was an arts administrator, was that the other person is always more interesting than you. And so if you can get them engaged in a conversation, uh, one of the things that you can do with that conversation is find out what it is that you're, uh, what problem you're trying to solve. And then even if you don't have a giant backlist, you can spin your pitch of the book so that it mm. matches the problem that they have. Yeah, the more information you have from this potential customer slash new person you're talking to about what they like, what they've read, the easier it is to come up with just the right pitch for just the right book. And your hit rate is going to be much higher in terms of them not feeling like, ah, eh, that's right. not really my thing. Because I don't think you really get too many chances with most people. So this, again, this comes out of my retail background, where it's you ask open-ended questions. What do you like to read is I prefer versus do you read science fiction fantasy? And a lot of the cons that do you read SFF question is already answered for me. Yeah. Um, and another question I really like is what kind of fun are you looking to have with a book? Because Ooh, asking about tone gets people to kind of share kind of the, the emotional hack that they're looking for in their brain. So you're going to a really, uh, a really deep level of emotional engagement right away, and then I can try to match it. And especially if you have the list, that's really yeah, nice. I'm because totally stealing that question from you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, I really, it's, it's fun to say, it's like, what kind of fun are you looking to have today? And like, maybe you'll have to talk through other things that they're doing. Like if they're at a con, I'm like, oh, well, I'm really looking forward to this, this, that. And then you've gotten them emotionally engaged. You've had a conversation where there's really some, some connection going on. And you can channel that back around into the book that yeah, you're trying I to sell. I really like that. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, I would suggest have a variety of pitches ready. Oh, yeah. That present your books in different lights playing to their different strengths. Don't misrepresent your book, yeah. but every book has different strengths. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, we're going to stop for our book of the week. And Mary had this awesome suggestion that we should role play you selling us. Um, oh, fantastic. Uh, so selling me on genre knots. I am looking to have some fun. I want to have... Um, Don't tell him that. Yes. Make him tease that out No, here. no, no. He says what type of fun you're looking to have today. I'll pretend, you know, I'm, I'm at the table. I am looking to just unwind. Excellent. Well, I'm really excited about my new series, Genre Knots. And what this is, is like Leverage meets Red Shirts, where a group of adventurers travel across dimensions to worlds based on story genres to find and fix broken stories. So you get to have a Western adventure and a romance adventure, and you're going to have some fun thinking about why stories are awesome along the way with this cool cast who are all specialists, and it's like a heist, but with stories. That sounds awesome. Um, um, are, you're, talking, you're talking about genre knots? I'm the guy standing at Mike's mm -hmm. table who just <laughs> bought a book. Mm -hmm. and, oh my! Oh yeah, I loved because the the one like the main character in that. Oh, she was a comedian. Oh, she was awesome. She's like my favorite character ever. What do you do when that guy is at your table trying to help? 
depends on who they are. If it's somebody I know, I can use social proof and that could be effective. The the kind of the more most common one that I do, if I feel like I already have good rapport with um, the person that I'm talking to is, and I'm not even paying him to say that because I'm acknowledging <laughs> mm-hmm. the fact that it's a little bit out of the current context that we have. Um, if I want to be a little bit more humble, if it's someone who I don't know at all, or maybe I'm not as far into a conversation, be like, well, thank you so much. That's really nice. I, you know, I, I, I talked to a friend of mine who's a stand-up comic. So I take that compliment and I work it into context and it's not about selling at that point. It's about kind of unpacking something that someone has said, which creates context for that other person. I'm not trying to instantly turn it into be like, and you, therefore you should totally buy it. Yeah. So let's, let's uh, now, now you're going to pitch it to me because I am a different audience than, than Brandon. So you've asked me. Uh, what kind of fun are you looking for in a book? I, you know, I, I am really looking for something that has a, a strong female protagonist. And I'm so tired of casts that are, you know, just kind of all the same. I, I, I want a good, I guess, um, I want a good ensemble, people who work with, I, I know the books, this is, I'm their narrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Genre Knots is fun because I got to pick people whose relationship to stories was, was different. We have a character who mostly reads audiobooks because he has ADHD, and I have a character who is a stand-up comic, and I have someone who's a scholar, and they all have a different approach to stories, so they, their investment is different, and it's really fun to, to talk, you know, I, the lead character is a comedian, and she, one of her bits is that she talks about getting to see herself in stories, or, or whether she doesn't. And now she's into a situation, as a genre or not, where she has to be a part of a story, but to stay on the sideline. And because of her background and who she is and kind of her cultural context, that creates some bits of tension, but she's really aware of it. So it was a fun thing to really dig into. Uh, you know, and I, I brought in a lot of beta readers to give me some extra feedback to make sure that I was trying to do it in a way. But it's really all in service of trying to have a fun adventure. You know, one thing you're doing really well here that I always thought was key, and this, I don't know, if this is probably something you can't fake, so if it's not you, then whatever, but enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. I found that that was, like, the key in basically everything I do talking about books, and you guys hear this on the podcast and things like that. I get enthusiastic about stuff. I love what I'm talking about. It shows. Um, and I make sure that I get enthusiastic about my book. And I have seen people do pitches before where they... You know, it's okay to be self-deprecating. That's okay. But where they go too far in the, you know, you might want to read this. Um, I mean, yeah. maybe. Well, it's my first book. Yeah. yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, and, and I will, I'm just going to flag this one. I would do that all the time with Shades of Milk and Honey. Mm. Uh, and this goes back to the Issue podcast where I would say things, I would hear this come out of my mouth. Oh, I don't know if you'd like it. It's kind of girly. Mm. I'm like, what am I doing that I'm doing that? So, so also, this is one of those, those cautions that you need to have, is you need to, to make sure that you are speaking about the book with uh, coming from a place of someone who loves it and, and kind of assuming that other people will love it too and that hopefully you will find the common ground between you. Yeah, and I think you can really, you can frame that in a way to not try to be like, oh, well, this book will appeal to everyone. Yeah. Very few books actually appeal to everyone, um, especially across cultural, cultural and historical context. But you, what you can say is, if you like this or this or that, you might really enjoy this because those are some of my favorite books. And I was really thinking about why they worked for me when I wrote the book. So you can qualify uh, and kind of bolster your work up by uh, 
basically citing its its narrative uh, lineage or the kind of cultural context that you're drawing upon. Boy, you aren't a folklorist at all. Oh, are you? certainly not. <laughs> now there is a there is a specific problem that that I have, uh, and and there are a couple of solutions to it, and that is that with Schlock Mercenary there are currently twelve books in print, yeah. and presenting somebody with a twelve book series. Uh, one, that's a huge financial commitment. And two, if I want them to pick just one, uh, how do they pick? Right. And, and I have two solutions for this. Solution number one is that we created boxed sets. Yeah. Because the boxed set removes a decision point. You know, it says, it, you're, you're not buying five things, you're buying one thing in a box. Right. Yes, it's much more expensive, but that psychological hurdle being able to put a slipcase on something and sell it that way is amazingly useful. And the second is priming my booth crew and me to know that at this show, the book that I am going to lead with is book number 10. I have already made that decision for me. Well, which one should I start with? You know, I really like the story in book number 10. I was so happy with how it came out. I've gotten good feedback from readers. It's about... I can't even remember what book to... Oh, Longshoreman of the Apocalypse. <laughs> no, it's called Longshoreman of the Apocalypse. Giant robot, giant hurricane, uh, you know, good times. Um, if that pitch works, great, I sold a book. If that pitch doesn't work, if they start asking about the other books, that's fine because I've now overcome the paralysis of choice that might have pushed them away from the table. Yeah, and I, I'm always iterating my pitches because um, for Angry Robot, we have a wide list. And at different shows, people are going to connect with different books in different ways. That there are some shows where um, highlighting the uh, the inclusivity of a, a, a fantasy setting is going to be more of a selling point. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be places where that doesn't necessarily really make an impact for most people. So as I try out pitches, uh, I see when they work and when they don't work. And if they don't work, I try to analyze what went wrong. Was it that I hadn't built up enough of a rapport to be able to go to a level that maybe people don't want to talk about. You know, if I'm talking like, oh, well, this is a, a, a setting where almost everyone is default bisexual. Uh, if, this is, if I haven't built toward that, that conversation by someone talking about, oh, well, you know, I was reading, uh, you know, Young Avengers and I really love America Chavez. And like you, if you build a conversation through an area, I think it's then easier to loop back around to it because one, you're using almost like comedy terms in terms of callbacks and you're showing that you've been paying attention to the conversation. And so that's something that I think can be really, really useful because you, you do your pitching and your hand selling and you say, okay, what's working? You and know, you take stock. One thing I would do that I, I'm curious your opinion on, um, I always felt it was important to leave them with the book. Sure. Um, that was part of the not doing the hard sell was do my pitch, make sh you know, see that they're interested, give it to them and say, I'll be right over there if you want me to sign it for you. I'm yeah. fine doing that. And then leave them able to take it and read the back of the book. Yeah. Well, there's, there's also, I don't know if you knew that you were doing this, but one mm -hmm. of the things that is very sneaky about that is yes. if someone has something in their hand, it's much yes. harder for them to put it down and walk mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, when I'm giving the pitch, I'll often kind of feature the book and I'll, I'll hold it and I'll be talking. And then as I finish the pitch, uh, especially like if you like this, I, I'm basically creating a, 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 a gestural call to action. By ex if I extend my open hand with something to someone, there is a natural inclination to take it. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of being sneaky about things. Mm -hmm. But if I'm sneaky in one area, but I'm very hands-off in another, right. I like the, um, let me know if you have any questions or uh, I'm going to check in with these folks here. 
because you're you're de-escalating. Yep. So that if someone does feel pressured, you're giving them a natural out. Yep. And that's um, I think that's really helpful and useful for this. I'm going to start wrapping this up. I saw Mary. Did you have a, a comment you wanted to make? Oh, I I just as Mike was talking, I was like, oh right, pitch is narrative. That's mm. the thing that that I oh, have yeah. to remember is yep. that pitch is narrative, <laughs> and I'm telling a story to a specific audience member that's in front of me, and I have to watch mm-hmm. their body language to see whether or not my narrative is landing. Right. Okay. Yeah. What I try to do... Oh, you. Well, I was just going to say, we, we're talking so much about pitching the story. What I have found doing this is that sometimes the pitch that works is, is purely economic. Uh, and, and I think with the partial series, I've got a handful of pitches that I use for it. Some of them I like better than others. But honestly, the best one and the one that's given me the most success is you can get this entire complete trilogy for $25. Yeah. At uh, most conventions, Angry Robot does a four books for $20 deal mm-hmm. where mass markets, you can get four for 20. Trade paperbacks are count as two each. But as people are walking by, like I'll, I'll do the one engagement, like how's it going today? And then what I'll, I may jump right into our con special this weekend. You can get any four books for $20. And especially book people will go, oh, really? Speak to me more of <laughs> yeah. this book for four or for 20. And, and this is a case where, where working at a convention is so valuable as opposed to working in a bookstore. Because if you're doing a bookstore signing, people don't typically go into a bookstore with $200 that they are planning to spend, although some people do. In a convention at a Comic-Con or a Dragon-Con or a Gen-Con, that's exactly what they're doing. And in fact, they probably have four or $500 because this is their one big show and they want to get all the swag they can. And most of them are readers. And sure, they'll drop $20 on a book if it looks like a good deal and a cool story. Yeah. And I um, want to just... Well, what I want to say is that so often in sales training, we focus on you know, closing the deal and you, know, you don't want to fail. Okay. Um, you are not, you know, even Brandon Sanderson, there's three out of those 10 in the bookstore who will walk away. Right. Um, the failure state should not be, oh, crap, I didn't close the deal, and they march off, and you're sad. Yeah. That is actual failure. The state in which they did not buy the book, the state I want to leave them in is, we had a good conversation, you have a positive opinion of me, and if our paths cross again at Gen Con, you are going to remember me and think, oh, there's that funny guy who tried to sell me a book. Yeah. And, and I wonder what he's up to this year, rather than, oh, there's that one pushy guy, and they swing wide of my table. Mm-hmm. So whatever pitch it is, you know, if you're a used car salesman, it's you grind it all the way to the bone, and if you fail, well, you fail, and they're not coming back anyway to buy a car someplace else. But with books, they may be back next year. Poisoning the well is permanent. Yeah, and Don't. If, you're, if you're hand-selling your own work, you get all of these extra bonus upgrades. Um, ups, like they're, they're kind of um, social upsells. Would you like me to, uh, to, to sign the book for you? You're, you're adding on to this relationship, and then they, they'll come back next year. What's new for you? People ask, like, what's new for Mangaroo Robot all the time? And by avoiding that, that grinding to the bone hand-selling, uh, we're building relationships, and that is so important because a reader then might buy your books for 50 years and then you've truly won. All right. I'm going to call it here, but Michael, you said you have a writing prompt for us. So I really love looking at uh, the sociology of science fiction. And I think this is maybe related to a prompt that Mary has given. So I'll apologize if it's a little bit of a retread. Uh, When you have an idea about like, oh, say here's a cool technology. So come up with a, a cool technology, then 
to figure out who your protagonist is, look at who has the most to gain and the most to lose and how it will change an, any given industry. And then you can find a protagonist there. And from that, you've created a couple of points and go forward, you know, write an outline or write a story. Excellent. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. That'll be $20. <laughs> and the um, audience from our Writing Excuses Cruise, thank you guys. This has been Running Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.